Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 430 featuring Sean Faden, VFX supervisor, a fantastic person who I met in my first, very first gig uh, at Digital Domain on Day After Tomorrow. And it was through seeing people like Sean and through uh, uh, people like David Prescott that I sort of got introduced to the fact that there is a whole other world of tools, especially something called Houdini, which I'd never heard of until I actually went to that uh, to DD at that time. And uh, he's a really fantastic person. He has an amazing career. He actually started off doing things uh, in the model shop, believe it or not, at, at DD, working on Titanic, working on the model Titanic, and sort of grew from there. And that's a really great work. Um, he later worked at Asylum um, and did some uh, amazing work there as well. And we talked a lot about what that was like working in commercials and actually talking about uh, flame artists in general and how they have sort of this superpower in that area, especially during that time, which I think was really cool. He later sort of uh, moved on to become a studio side visual effects supervisor and did some incredible work in there, including uh, being the VFX supervisor for, for Mulan, which uh, earned him a uh, Oscar nomination. So really cool stuff that he's done uh, and really happy to have him on. Super nice guy, super down to earth and really, really fun. So thank you, Sean, for joining. Okay, we don't really have any product or new product announcements. I just want to give you guys an update the, again that V-Ray 6 Update 1 for Cinema 4D and for Maya has been released uh, as of uh, several weeks ago. There's some incredible new features and you should definitely go check those out. Uh, if you'd like to see what they are, just go to chaos.com and check out the product pages and then we'll give you all the updates on what this update one is. A uh, really cool product and definitely worth checking out. Uh, we don't really have any events uh, just yet. Uh, oh yes, sorry, we do. Uh, there's the next build conference and next dev conference that's happening uh, June 19th and 20th in London. So go check that out, uh, uh, you know, and you can find all of our events at chaos.com slash events. Uh, if you want to know more about the podcast, of course, you can just go to our podcast page, which is chaos.com slash CG Garage. Uh, we also have a Facebook page in case you want to do that, which is facebook.com slash CG Garage Podcast. And if you want to watch any of these um, shows or any of these episodes, uh, we put them up on our YouTube, uh, which is youtube.com slash TV, And that are always fun to watch as well. A lot more people are watching them on YouTube these days and definitely worth it. So uh, go check it out over there. And of course, if you have any ideas of podcasts, we've been getting some really great ones uh, recently and more and more of them are coming in. So uh, happy to hear your suggestions uh, or even just your feedback in general. We'd love to hear that as well. Uh, our email is labs at chaos.com. All right, but for now, please enjoy episode number 430 with Sean Faden. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray And while image-based lighting is really swell you need to make sure everything has for now. I've done so many of these podcasts, but you know, a lot of them almost always start like you and I worked at DD together. That's how a lot of stories are. And Day After Tomorrow seems to be a starting point of a lot of the conversation as well. And yeah. that, I think, was the first time that we worked together, right? That was on Day After Tomorrow. It was, yeah. 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 So I was, uh, that was, that was, it's like a touchstone for a lot of us in the business, I think. Yeah. We're all kind of like, because a lot of us were, 
um, had been working for a while and then kind of like hit that movie, which was like, you know, super difficult from a creative and technical standpoint. Um, and sort of thankfully, you know, a lot of us had some experience to be able to actually meet that project head on and, and figure out how to actually do it. But I did meet a lot of good friends on that, on that show. Um, you know, and, and we always joke about that. We were all kind of in the trenches together on that thing, you know? And so when I talked to, you know, Brian Grill or I talked to Andy Waisler or any, any of the, the supervisor or Matthew Butler, you know, Prescott, all, <laughs> Prescott, Todd Israelite, Julian mm -hmm. Levy, um, Eric uh, Bruno, like we were just, it was just like that, 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 uh, camaraderie that kind of was born out of the difficulties that we had of actually getting through that show. Um, it sort of stays with you for a lifetime, I think, you know, and that yeah. was 20 years ago, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, that was, actually, that, was that was my last show at, at DD, you know, that was, um, that's right. You remember I, I, we, we finished the show, we delivered the show. And I think the same day, my first kid, my daughter, Joelle was born. And I was, it was like my last day at digital domain. Cause I was like, okay, I have, so it was like kid finishing this crazy two year project. And, um, and then knowing that I was like leaving all my friends and this sort of comfort nest of DD behind, it was like, it was, uh, my emotions were kind of all over the place, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can imagine. I but how long, were you, how long were you at DD, Chris? All, all I together? stayed, I stayed through, uh, and then to, I went to iRobot after that. And mm -hmm. then I did stealth yep. and then I went to Sony to work on ghost rider. Okay. So you're there so, till like Oh six or something. I left, I left there. No five, I think. Oh five. Uh, and then I went back for Tron. So that was after that. Yeah. And that you and I read, uh, we met again briefly at method for a, <laughs> for a yes. few months be before I left to go back to DD. It's interesting. Yes. But, yeah. but I, listen, I want to get into a little bit about your background. Obviously, I think that's really uh, interesting. First of all, it was people, it was you and I think Prescott who sort of like started realizing it was like, there's another program called Houdini. And I, <laughs> I thought it was only Maya, but there's this other thing called Houdini, Houdini and does these crazy things in Houdini. And I was yeah. really, really fascinated by it. Um, and uh, and that's what I started to, to learn more about, like cool effects and clouds and Voxel B at the time and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but what got you started? What got you into visual effects? Like how did you – did you have a passion for movies? Where, where did it all start for you? Always, yeah, always loved the movies. Um, probably, you know, I like Star Wars like everybody, you know, at, of my generation. But I think right. it was actually Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981 – yeah. Walking home, I'd seen it with my older brother and my older cousin. So my brother Ryan and, and my cousin Howard are like, we're walking. So they're like 13, 10, and I was eight or something. So the, the and the three of us are walking home like two, two, two hours from home from the, uh, the theater that we had walked to and just talking about the movie and talking about every aspect of it. And it was just like, and that was sort of what, uh, and I had watched a few of the sort of behind the scenes things of like how they did stop motion and Star Wars and all that. And, all that I think was starting to kind of congeal in my head of like, well, this is, this is cool. I mean, as a little kid, I'm not saying, I wasn't saying, okay, I want to do this as a career, but it was that. And I think in probably Terminator in 84 was the same three of three of us walking home uh, one night and, and just like the amazing kind of um, storytelling that could be done with visual effects was, was what really kind of got me with the fact that like you could really expand 
um, expand a story, you know, like, okay, great stories are, are out there, but if you can fool the audience or do just enough to kind of, um, suspend disbelief, um, that's sort of the goal. And, you know, you have something like Raiders is like, you've got ghosts flying around and, you know, energy flying out of the, the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, we, we, as a kid, even you knew that wasn't real, but, but it's like, it was done so well for the time that you're watching it and you're just, you are transfixed and you mm-hmm. are transported away to this other sort of world that, that where all this is possible. And, um, yeah, so I I think that was always sort of embedded in the back of my head. I want to do something with movies, but then of course reality sets in, and you you do you know you do lots of math and you do lots of engineering. Like I ended up going to engineering school because I thought I was gonna um, I don't know. I think at some point I must have forgotten that I really want to do movies because I was somehow like thought, well, I got to just get in get in line and do what everybody who's good at science is going to do, which is like I don't know, go and be an engineer. So I, I went to school for that graduated Mm -hmm. with mechanical engineering degree at UCLA and realized kind of in my senior year that I didn't really want to be an engineer. I just kind of felt like I was already kind of felt like I was a bit dying inside just from some of the stuff we were doing. And I was like, I don't know if I could now go out and do this for the rest of my life. So I did a, uh, a one year master's program at UCLA that let me sort of basically postpone making that decision. And in that time, um, they, I, I was able to take a small business class, small business management class. And one of the groups of students, not my group, but another group was actually consulting digital domain, like, mm. cause they were a local small business. And, um, at the end of the quarter, they did a whole presentation about DD and how cool it was. And it was like, they showed like a whole sizzle reel. And I remember one of the commercials was like the Clydesdale, the Bud's Budweiser Clydesdale's like kicking the football or something like that. And I was like, you know. Not that I'm a, a huge fan of of Budweiser, but I'm just like the 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 the, the stylings and the and the, and what they were able to do. I think probably Apollo 13 was on the reel as well, and right. and um and I talked to Steve Fredericks, who was the CFO, and he was the one who was there giving like the whatever the the, the speech. And I said, "Do you guys hire creative engineer types at Digital Domain?" He said, "Are you kidding me? That is our ideal candidate." Like, is you know, there was no schools back then, really. Right. So, um, I got a number for Les Ecker, uh, who was in the model shop, and um, I reached out to him. And uh, while I waited for an opportunity to do AutoCAD-based miniature design, which is what I ended up doing my first job at DD, mm-hmm. I waited for that job. Uh, and while I waited, I did. Um, I was carrying dead bugs around for Starship Troopers. So I was, I worked on it for like six weeks on set with, with main unit. And actually that was another place where I really kind of, I think it was becoming more and more clear that like, there's a, there's a future for me in this world that, that will make me very happy because it's watching uh, Paul Verhoeven work. And I was also watching Phil Tippett work and I got to even puppeteer some bug legs that <laughs> Phil Tippett telling me what to do. So it was just like a dream come true, you know? Wow. Um, but that's that's kind of how it all happened. It's it's super weird and random, but that's that's how I ended up at DD. You know, wow. just, and that, that was the fr- obviously that was the first place. But you were working in a model shop when it was around then, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I was in the model shop for the first probably three months. I did miniatures on Fifth Element and okay. Titanic. Oh, those are beautiful miniatures. Dante's Peak. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do a lot, but I did um, a lot of work on the um, 
the Floss in Paradise, the 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 blue, you know, yep. large, large cruise ship. Like I did probably I cut most of those windows on that thing. So it was like I I go into the it's, you know, my little office was like in the back corner where with the machine and so it was like loud and whatever, but I was I would go from my office into the model shop and talk to the model makers and and they say, "Oh, we need some uh, so, uh, some windows in this that kind of wrap around this contour or whatever. So I'd take some wax paper and I would just sort of get a rubbing or, or, or draw, you know, roughly the shape. And then I'd try to, try to match that and cut test pieces and just make sure, because there was no way to scan it. I just had to sort of trial and error. And I would just print out little pieces, test it with paper, and then figure, okay, this is a good fit. And then I could sort of subdivide it and make windows based on whatever design, you know, they were, they were going wow. for. So um, interesting. That was cool. But I, then I worked on Titanic as well. And I did like all the, I think I, I scored all the planking for the miniature um, flooring. So like, you know, the, the, the end shot where you travel over the, the floor, that's a, that's a miniature. It's, it's right. a separate miniature, but so all that, um, all that was all balsa wood sheets that were sort of cut and stained to and be, scored, yeah. you know, but, and also the, the, the best thing I, the coolest thing I think I did was on, um, on Titanic, the, the windows, for the uh, for the ballroom, the, the, those windows I had to sort of score all the little panes of glass. They were about they're about probably this this big, you know. And mm. um, and I'd give those to the to the model makers, and they would smash them and test them. And go, oh, they didn't pop out well enough. Okay, score you know, and they'd do random random scoring and all that kind of stuff, and um, find the the best balance of so the windows would sort of explode out when they got compressed. Wow. Yeah. But uh, that didn't last. I mean, that was that was three months, and then Les Les Ecker, bless his heart, was like, you know, middle, model shops kind of slowing down. We like you. You should meet people across the street. You should meet the the, the digital team. So I met them on a Friday. I met like uh, I think I met Matthew Butler, Judith Crow, um, Mark Mark Lazoff. I forget who else I met, but I met them on a Friday, and basically Monday I was working on the integration team for Titanic. Just tracking and doing layouts and stuff. Wow. Okay. And and you, that you had never done anything like that, I'm assuming, right? No, no. They, I mean, I had done 3D design at in, in engineering school, but we were, mm -hmm. you know, designing, but the parts we were making were super simple, like make this widget and then test it for stress over, you know, cycles, that kind of thing. But right. nothing very complicated, not like making uh, freight ships or, or uh, spaceships or, you know, whatever. That's cool. That's cool. I, I was I I was with uh, Judith last week actually in New York. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. She's a she's a, a wonderful person that, and I, I I learned a lot from Judith. Yeah. Um, probably the, the you know my best experience I think at DD and probably a lot of people's best experience at DD was Fight Club. Um, oh yeah. That was a, a very small team, but but you know Judith was I think she was our. CG supervisor. Kevin Mack was a VFX, VFX supervisor. Maybe. Yeah. And then I think, yeah, Kevin was this, was a VFX soup. I think Judith was the DFX soup. Yeah. Matthew was the CG soup. And then there was like, there was like me, um, uh, David Prescott, uh, yep. Dan Lemon, mm -hmm. uh, Zach Tucker, uh, um, Vernon Wilbert, um, Mike Edland. I mean, there's just, it was, it's such a, I'm trying to think of who else was on there. Uh, I think Brad Parker. So there was just right. like, so it was just like a really small, oh, uh, Carrie Villegas, um, uh, right. Mitchell Dunn. It was just like this really great group of, it was not huge, but, um, and I, I think, and I think Eileen Moran was our, was our VFX producer. 
Right. So, I mean, like it was just like you know, everybody kind of went off. I think and, half that crew has gotten Oscar nominations by now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's it was it was a pretty amazing little team, and um, I mean, Judith Judith taught me so much, you know, because she she knew she knew Houdini inside and out, she knew Prisms yep. inside and out, and so. I just I learned a lot of tricks from her for sure over the years, but that one that show especially. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I find that fascinating. Uh, that that you know that that those origin stories that DD a lot of people have them that are very very good and good to them for sure. So where did where did you end up going after DD? Well, DD, yeah. So when I so I I'd probably worked there for six years, seven years altogether, um, and. After day after tomorrow, I was just sort of you know I really wanted to to get on set more, um, and you know DD was one of those places where you would definitely get a lot of experience as a visual effects artist because you'd be on a show for two years or whatever it is or a year and a half, but to be on set you had to kind of there was you know a few people that that were sort of in that role if you were a data wrangler or whatever, but if you wanted to do more. Uh, as a say an effects artist or as a lead it was a little harder to kind of like you know carve out that time say well I want to be on set like I would visit I visited set a a bunch of times but but I wanted more of that experience and when Asylum uh, sort of came up as a as an opportunity what I realized was that not only could I go there and um, you know do kind of like what I was doing already at DD but also there was a chance to do more commercials without having to be in the commercial department or in the feature department. It was just sort of a little more fluid. Mm-hmm. And um, that was one of the main reasons I went there was I just wanted to sort of shake it up a little bit and have a little more opportunity. Um, and I love DD and I love everything that I was able to sort of get out of working there and learn from people. Um, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, um, but it was time to sort of try something else. And the the crazy thing about Asylum was when I left, everybody was like, well, you're, you're kind of crazy for going, like you're, you're missing out on, you know, you're not going to have Doug Robel and the amazing sort of software department of DD to kind of back you up anymore. And and he was right. I didn't have anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have Alan Kapler and, you know, and, and all of his great tools, Voxel B, as you're saying, you know, like we didn't have that stuff. But what I did have was, um, you know, a ragtag group of artists, very similar to some of those smaller teams that I had worked with at DD, like, say, the Fight Club team people that Mm -hmm. could kind of do a few different things. And then it was just a a chance to kind of succeed without as much behind me, without as big of a team. And, and it was a, it was a good kind of gut check, I think for me to go, okay, well, I I am able to still be successful with smaller teams or with a different team. And it, it, it just, it kind of builds your confidence that um, you can, you don't have to sort of stay in the same place. You can actually, try new things and, and move, move out. Um, but, but also as a, a, the, the additional um, value of going there was that I ended up doing probably 50 commercials in, you know, five years or whatever, however long I was there. Right. So that was a lot of onset rapid kind of, you know, onset speed dating where you just, you're onset, you're thrown mm-hmm. into crazy situations. You don't know what, you don't know what the show is. Sometimes you just go on set. Cause they go, go on set on Saturday, go on set on Tuesday. And you go, yep. okay, what are you guys trying to do? And you have to kind of figure it out. And then most of those teams already have their, you know, the, 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 the onset crews, those, those people already kind of work with each other. They knew each other. You're always the outsider. So yep. 
it sort of it honed my my ability. I'm still learning, but you know, it definitely kind of got you. It was a bit trial by fire of like, you can either be the asshole on set that nobody wants to help, or you can be the guy that that people want to actually help and and yeah. to figure out how to actually get um, what you need. You know. Yeah, I I I was when I was at Sway and at Method, it was kind of similar. I'd be like. Yeah, go on set on on Friday. And it's like, to, to what? What am I looking at? It's like we're doing a TJ Maxx commercial or something, you know, whatever it is. And it's like we need yeah, to yeah. some some we're going to need to see some tracking here. It's like, okay, <laughs> so you just want yeah. me to put up some markers and, <laughs> and make like sure everything's shot correctly. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the director would be like, well, why do we need you here? We don't we're not doing any effects, and you're like, mm, I think you guys are like, you hired our company. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's something yeah. we're going to be doing here. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so mostly it's just just shoot a clean plate. We'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But no, I mean, you, you know, I mean, by you know, method was very similar to Asylum. Yeah, it know? was. Um, and Sway, I imagine, was similar as well. Uh, yeah. And, and and it was sort of like the that was like the the mid two thousands was like mm-hmm. the birth of the sort of boutique companies that were able to you know they were you know biting off decent size chunks of work out of you right. know, their work on features they were working on commercials car commercials were huge at that time too well yeah especially <laughs> especially sway i know that was sort of like that's probably where you really uh honed a lot of those skills is what i'm guessing right yeah like, for sure i mean it was all car, pretty much 90 percent car commercials mm. which you really get very good at that but sometimes you're like i'm just dying to do like some French toast or something, <laughs> just a different kind of commercial. Do a, a gooey creature or something. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, it was was it was a it was a good thing. But Asylum was had a reputation of having some of the the best sort of flame artist kind of centric uh, pipeline and idea, right? Yeah, and, and that's a, that's a really good point. And it was another thing that kind of was eye opening for me. It was because, um, and I love the you know the the new department because we had. Uh, DD had new compositors and it had flame artists and mm-hmm. there were superstars in both, both of those groups. I mentioned Carrie, he was mm-hmm. in Os Henke. I mean, these guys could do anything. Um, but then, uh, and, and the new compositors were awesome too. And it was great to kind of have that back and forth. But what I found when I went to asylum is because they were smaller, they, those flame artists there could sort of, I don't know, it seemed like they were able to somehow take, you know, a version one or version two element from a team and either mix it with something that they found or, or whatever um, and and get a little more mileage out of it, um, more than I was expecting. And that was like a, a big sort of um, trick, I think, or big big key in how Asylum was able to sort of do as much work as they were doing with not as big of a CG department right. because they were putting more weight on make it work, make it work, somehow make it work. And it was sort of like, you know, treating the CG elements almost as, you know, uh, photographed elements that were found that might not have been exactly perfect, but how do we right. make them work for the scene we're trying to do? And, um, you know, sometimes sometimes I work great and uh, it saved us time. And other times we, we had to dig in and, and do another version because it just wasn't right. Um, but there was more of a, um, more of a sort of flame-centric uh, attitude there where it's like if if they if they say it works it's fine like we don't need to we don't need to keep doing more elements for stuff which right. um and 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 from a from an artist perspective for me like I, I learned a lot about the job of actually you know working with because i i had been like a cg supervisor at 
um, at DD when I left, but then I was sort of slowly kind of moving into more of a VFX supervisor role, which I had to kind of be careful about because you can't just jump in there and be like, I know, because I didn't know everything. I, I still sure. don't know everything. And, and to walk in there and, and, and be pointing at, at a flame artist screen and saying, do this, do this, do this. You just can't do that. Like it has to be a, you have to kind of, you know, ease into those sorts of notes. And, um, and I learned a lot by listening and, and, and sort of seeing where their heads were at and, and what their process was. And I think that helped me a lot in um, kind of moving into those spaces and, and being able to VFX supervise on commercials and, and VFX supervise on some feature stuff, even at Asylum. Uh, but it was only because I was, uh, able to um, uh, really work work with the flame artists that were that were really putting the shots together at the end of the day, um, yeah. and 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 be open to everything that they were saying, and and not just come in as like, well, I'm supervising, you know, that never that never would have worked, and I'm not, it's not my style anyway. But um, but I did learn a lot, and that's what allowed me to kind of when I went to Method it was like the same thing. It was like, but a lot of times flame artists because they were used to being the sort of leads on, on commercials. It was, there was sometimes a little like, okay, who's this guy, you know? And, right. and, you know, I still ran into that, but, but, um, and we always are going to run into those sorts of situations, but um, it, the work at Asylum gave me the confidence to know that what I was asking for, even if I didn't know flame, I knew what the end image should have looked like. And, right. and I kind of get it, get it by working with everybody, you know? I, my wife's a flame artist, so I'm always going to defend <laughs> flame artists. Uh, <laughs> but I do think, you know, there, there was a thing about flame artists being, you know, I remember specifically in that DD flame artists were like, they're so expensive and they got, mm. you know, their bays are huge and they think they're God. And that was sort of, one of the things I used to hear about flame mm. artists. And then having worked with them, I, and you know, at method actually, uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, they deserve everything they get because they are, <laughs> well, first of all, they're in a room with a client breathing down their neck as they're working, which yeah. is like hard. Perform performance art or something. Right. Yeah. And so the, you know, a flame bay is, is no joke. And especially places like method where they, you know, bring in catered food and the clients are, you know, famous or whatever, and they're looking at your stuff and you have to perform for them. It's like, here, I'm going to fix this stuff. But yeah. I remember what more specifically I was doing yet another car commercial at method and, uh, the director, and we were delivering that day. I mean, almost like within an hour, right. We were going to deliver and the director was there and he looks at a shot and goes, the reflection on this car, it doesn't look quite right. Is it possible to move it? Like, and I was like, oh, it's like, yes, it'll take me, you know, like two minutes to move the light, but I got to re-render everything and I'm just going to have to rush the farm and see what we can do. Mm. And so I had said, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and put it on the farm. But, you know, and then the flame artist looked at me and said, okay, you do that. I'll see what I can do on the flame. Mm. And by the time I came back down, like 10 minutes later, and I was like, it's on the farm. We'll see what, what happens. And he's like, I fixed it. <laughs> and it was, he changed the reflection of a car. I mean, it was no small feat. I mean, it was just like, wow. it was pretty amazing. So I was like, okay, so, you know, deserve it. Well, everything, you just solved this huge thing. Like, and they do that all the time, right? So, because um, they're used to that. They're used to, like you said, we're just going to work with what we got. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's amazing, and that and that's the thing. Like, I I was of the mentality coming from DD of like, okay, we got to fix this, we got to fix this, go back, and you know, yep. turn it through the through the machine. And and again, back then in the in the early two thousands, 
digital domain hadn't quite sort of transitioned into more of a sort of lean and mean, like uh, uh, almost a commercial pipeline on, you know, I think they were separate worlds. And, yep. um, and while we knew there were certain aspects of the commercial pipeline that were definitely more efficient, there was definitely like the, the structure of the teams at the time, because it was hard to get artists, you know, enough artists that were all really high level, you'd have like a certain amount of artists that are high level. And then you'd, you'd kind of fill the team out with mid-level and juniors. And, you know, as it, as it turned out, a lot of those couple of high level artists would end up doing most of that work because they'd be fixing scenes or whatever. And, and, but you still would like, if something wasn't working, you would, it would, it would just sort of go back through the, uh, um, pachinko kind of mm -hmm. thing and, and get re-rendered and, and then, delivered again and, and it was, so there wasn't that like that quick sort of efficient hey i can fix this let's look at let's look at what the problem really is right not that it's a factory that but it's actually like what's not working about the shot okay right can you fix it? yes we can fix it okay great done right you know, well it was like you know and this was true when i was at sony as well it was much more of a pipeline it goes down the pipe if something has to be fixed you got to go back to where it was broken and do it all over yeah. again right and so exactly. you couldn't just like i'll take it from here <laughs> Attitude. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I think, I think, you know, most, most vendors have, have sort of streamlined those processes, sure. you know, there are still some times where you're on a, you're on a call with your vendor and you're like, well, can't you guys just, you know, quick tweak that in the, in the comp and they go, no, we have to re-render it. I'm like, well, how long is that going to take? And like, <laughs> it's like you know, so there, um, but you know, so they, sometimes they, they know a lot more than I do as far as what, sure. what's really going into making that shot look the way it looks, you know, and yeah. you have to respect that too, you know, but for sure, it's for easy sure. to simplify it. It's easy to simplify it when you're, you know, looking at something through zoom and, and you go and, and you don't realize just how many artists are actually putting this stuff together. You know, it's, yeah. um, it's not the yep. same. You're not in when, this greening room with like a hundred people behind you looking at the shop. Well, that's it. Like, I think, uh, you know, the, the days of like, yeah, when you used to sit in the screening room and you're looking and you have you most of your team or all your leads or whatever are around there, everyone's around each other. And we're all right. talking about the shot. You kind of, it's very clear. Like there's a lot of people going to, a lot of people that are working to make this shot work. Right. Um, and then when you, but when you're reviewing stuff on CineSync and you've got like the supervisor and the anim supervisor and the comp soup and a couple of coordinators, you don't, you don't see the whole team, which is, it's, it's kind of a shame. Cause I, you want to you want to actually talk to everyone on the on the show. You want to, and that's why even though I don't get to do it as much anymore, I do like going to visit the vendors and meet meeting the artists and even looking at shots with everybody. And like it's it's so important, but it's it's less and less these days, and it's it's a shame, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, so 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 you went to asylum for a little bit, and then I think asylum closed. Is that correct? Is that what? It closed about a, maybe a year, year and a half after I left. Like I, I left, okay. in, um, I left in 09, uh, at the end of Terminator Salvation and I went to method, um, right. uh, mainly to work with, uh, again, with, with Gabby, Gabby Greer, who would, who would mm -hmm. like run the commercial department at, at Asylum and then she had moved probably a year before I did to method. And, um, mm -hmm. it just seemed like a, another good place to go, um, and it, there was an opportunity to supervise a nightmare on Elm Street, and it was—I think at the time at uh, at Asylum, I was 
it was it was just ready. I was it was ready. I was ready. It was I'd been there for five and a half years, and, um, and they had been really great to me. It was a really good experience. I learned a lot. Um, but method, you know, it was a chance to like work and uh, as as like the supervisor and go go on set. And 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 again, it was a it was a it was a cool subject matter. You know, it, the movie was 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 fine. It was actually I'm I'm happy with how it turned out. I wish. Um, uh, I wish it was better received. I would say it was not like, it was not like a, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't break the, break the box office or anything, but right. um, it was a good experience. And, but I, and I left to go to method. I worked there for about three and a half years. Um, and, you know, same, very similar to asylum in that I was sort of doing multiple things. I was like working on commercials, working on features, developing stuff, you know, developing commercial stuff, working, you know, so there's, there were times when I was working on like eight different things at the same time and my head right. was on a swivel. So I'd probably come by and see you and be like, Hey, can I, and I just do it like stream of consciousness. I would just like walk through the halls of method, which was sort of like a cheese maze. It was just sort of like random desks everywhere. Yep. And, and you just sort of, you know, you go up the stairs and you go into, you know, into this, this CG pocket and like, Oh, there's, there's Chris. I go, Hey Chris, how's it going? What's <laughs> I'd have to remember like what commercial are we working on right now? And like, yep. you know, I got this and this is done and this is looking cool. And I, Oh, it looks great. And then I, then I turn around and I go to the next desk and it's a totally different show and it's a flame art or maybe a nuke artist working on something. Yep. And, and you just, that's, that's my, those are my days. Right. Three years, just like, like a, like a pinball just bouncing from, you yeah. know, artist and i remember you and janelle janelle came over around the same time too right yeah yeah well janelle was there she was our comp soup on on nightmare on elm street and she brought yep. a bunch of good nuke artists from dd yep from her uh benjamin button days i think mm -hmm. and um, so that was kind of a it was a good sort of infusion of strong nuke artists uh comp comp artists at uh at method um and yeah we worked together on that show i don't think we worked together on anything else after that but um but, That's cool. I just got. I just finished doing uh, an episode with her because she she just finished. She was uh, supervisor on John Wick Four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Janelle's great. I I run into her once in a while. We I yeah. think I last saw her at the uh, at the Bake Off actually. Yeah. Um, but um, but uh, yeah. So I mean, and, and it was one of those things where uh, Method was was a good company uh, in two thousand nine, and mm -hmm. they had just merged with Riot, and so there was mm -hmm. a lot of weirdness there where yep. like you know the riot artists were sort of not necessarily trusting of the method and the method was not trusting of the riot and here i'm just sort of showing up as the new guy <laughs> you, you, like, you came oh, from none of them so like who are you with you know and, and <laughs> just, hey i just want to do good work and it just and everybody yeah. was you know uh for the most part you, were, you everyone was pretty pretty cool and you could sure. you could um you know make make new friends and and figure stuff out but it was nice to have some sort of new new blood infused because it was not not just me i just mean like there were good artists that were hired during that time that yeah. i think challenged some of the um some of the uh sort of approaches to things but um but there are some i mean method has some insanely good uh artists that, that I got to work with. I mean, Method had the reputation, uh, you know, well, I joined Method before the merger. So mm -hmm. it was much smaller and talk about boutique. It was, as you remember, like you're saying, it was like, it was the time of the, the good boutique little stores. Right. Yeah. And totally. Asylum and Method and uh, were, were, were way up there, especially on the high end commercials and people would like, 
call for specific flame artists all the time, like big commercial houses. Like we want to work with Alex Farish or whatever, you know? And yeah. so it was a kind of like a big deal um, to be that. And so I remember that was like, it was a kind of a learning experience to me. It's not just this pipeline or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was really kind of cool. All right. So after, after method, uh, yeah. what was your next tour of uh, duty? <laughs> so after method, I went to Pixamundo. Oh, uh, Okay. I worked, yeah, my friend Joni Jacobson was, was managing there and, um, uh, I had worked with her. She was a flame artist that I worked with way back at Asylum on, uh, Amityville Horror. She was one of our flame artists. So, nice. so we, we already had kind of a nice rapport. And then I think I ran into her at like a VES or something and yep. what, what are you doing? And it's, and I said, Oh, you know, and she said, okay, well, we might, we might need you. So it took about a year or so of like, back and forth, but, um, I ended up getting a job on, um, a good day to die hard. So I was like die hard five, I guess. And okay. Anyway, but, but the cool thing about that one was that it, uh, I went to Budapest for about 10 weeks, um, to, to sort of help on, on set for that. I mean, I was not the supervisor, but I was the vendor representative. I was the vendor supervisor and, right. And, um, and it was great. I, I got to be, you know, in, in the mix of some of the really challenging sequences. Nice. Um, so that was cool. And then, and Pixel was great, but Pixel was like, you know, Pixel was what I thought was going to be sort of like a, another method. Mm -hmm. uh, but what it turned into was like method plus like this sort of experiential ride kind of world, which is, okay. yeah, which is cool. But cause that honestly, uh, in 2013, that business saved the industry. Because in 2012, you know, if you remember, I mean, like the movies were sort of like if you were not doing a uh, a Marvel movie or or like a Star Wars or something like if you weren't involved, maybe it wasn't even Star Wars back then. But if you weren't mm -hmm. doing something that was like the big the big boys, big big boys and girls, uh, the effects companies mm -hmm. were kind of screwed. Like if you weren't on the good good list, then um, and you were just like a little boutique place like Pixamundo. And the and the work was starting to kind of dry up, and there was no streaming really. What well, that was not really a thing. So, uh, uh, Tilo, rest his soul. Mm -hmm. um, he he got all these great uh, Chinese projects, and I, even though like oh, that's right. Yeah, and so I was working with like Wanda. I did two projects with those guys, and it was it was really challenging. I'm not going to say it was easy, but I got to be in China a lot and got to learn a lot about the culture, uh, learned a lot of the language, although I've forgotten most of it now, unfortunately. How long uh, were you in China? Well, I was probably there a combined, um, like six months, probably all mm -hmm. I mean, there was two projects and, in you know, each one was like a few weeks here and then, then go back for, you know, big chunks of time. Um, but one was like this big ride film and we went all through the Hubei province, um, 10 different locations. So that took like, I don't know, six weeks to kind of like go through all this stuff. And then, right. uh, and then I did, and then when I was done with that one, I did a, um, uh, like a promotional film for a Franco Dragon, uh, like big, you know, he did like La Rev. So he was doing these uh -huh. big things in China. Uh, this one's called Splendor. Uh, it was called. The big ride film. Was it one where it's like you're flying through landscapes? Um, yeah. It was, it was called, uh, Hubei in the air, you know? Right. Um, I remember it that. It was, all, it was all CG, but it was all kind of like based on a lot of drone footage that we shot. We went and shot as much of this stuff as possible. And then through photogrammetry, we did like, you know, we do like passes and then we'd also do lots of photogrammetry passes. 
that could then be processed and and it, it was used for sure it wasn't like we just put all the footage in and it popped out it wasn't that easy but like um we had to kind of go there and and just basically uh uh you know capture as much information as possible over that time so i i remember they uh because you guys rendered it in, in V-Ray, and I think you guys came to one of the, our SIGGRAPH V-Ray days presentations and presented that whole thing. It was a pretty amazing project. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and I was actually, I had, like, I was on for more of the sort of pre and the shooting kind of thing. And the actual right. post, I think, by the, time, by the time they had kind of figured out what the actual paths were mm -hmm. um, and they were starting to kind of render it, I think I was moved on to another show. So sure. I didn't, I did not finish that one, but, but yeah, it, it looked, it looked great for, you know, for 2013, 2014 technology, right. you know, not too bad, you know? Um, That's awesome. But yeah, so that, and that, and that kind of floated or saved Pixel Mondo, but I, but it wasn't just us. Cause you would hear, oh yeah, you know, rhythm, in a, you know, rhythm news, you know, it's yep. like, oh, they're, they're doing a Fast and the Furious thing or they're doing, but there, there was like, there was all these. It was like a, I think there was like a Chinese version that was like Fast and Furious. That was it was, okay. it was the same same center in in Wuhan. You know, right. Wuhan doesn't mean what it used to mean. Like now, when you say Wuhan, you think, oh, that's where the that's where COVID started. But like it used to be the place where we worked for this for this, for this project. You know, right. But anyway, that was a long time ago. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's very very interesting. Uh, so, how long were you at Pixo? About three years, um, okay. and then my um, my old um, my old boss from Asylum, from the features, uh, our features executive producer Kathy Chasen Hay, mm -hmm. um, who actually she had, we worked together for about two months when I started at Pixamundo because she was a producer on Die Hard, and then she left to go to Lionsgate mm. uh, back then. So then, say now, fast forward three years, uh, Power Rangers is coming up. And she's like, oh, Sean, maybe you'd want to work on that from the studio side. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I, met, I met Dean Israelite, the director, and um, I already had an agent. My, I had kind of started talking to a, a, an agent uh, a few years before, and nothing quite worked out. But at least I had someone in the wings that I could speak to. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, uh, yeah, and and, and he's still my agent. Jason is still my agent. So I, I, I basically reached out to him and said, what should I do? Should I? Because Pixel was like, you could do a loan out. You could do And I'm like, and we just talked about it and realized that, you know, going full bore, just just doing it and, and working for the studio was was the best path. Mm. Uh, and Pixel was so cool and understanding. I mean, I made sure they actually got work on the show. They got a nice yeah. a nice chunk of work. Uh, which felt good to be able to to give them something to do, and they did a great job on it, you know. Um, and uh, and that's it, yeah. So that was that was 2015, and I've kind of been working on the studio side since then. Okay, eight years. Uh, and so, do you when you're a studio side, do you do you actually stay with the studio the whole time, or do you go from studio to studio? It's been sort of jumping studio to studio. I mean, you know, it's 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 funny. You think, uh, well. Yeah, when I finished on uh, Power Rangers, there was nothing else that Lionsgate had that was like, "Hey, jump sure. on this." And I think I had a few months off, and then I met uh, Mimi at um, at Disney, and, okay, uh, to do well to meet everybody on Mulan. Which um, oh, interesting. Which which I gotta say, I think you know, I was thinking about it the other day, like 
I mean, I, I think I got very lucky to to get that job. Yeah. Just based on, you know, there's a lot of really great supervisors out there. But I think what helped me was the fact that I had spent so much time in China that I actually had like a like a really good kind of connection to it. So you think like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm stuck doing this ride film or whatever. And it, it was interesting, but it wasn't like wasn't like doing like a Terminator movie or something. It was like sure. wasn't the sexiest thing in the world, maybe. But but the fact is that 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 there was a purpose there. You know, the purpose was that it it taught me a lot about you know the culture in China. Like I I definitely had a good sense of what Chinese landscapes looked like and felt yep. like. And um and when that was the brief from from Mulan, it's like well we need to make you know, we're gonna be shooting in New Zealand, but we need to kind of make it feel like it's in China. Like I felt very comfortable sort of in that space. And I mm -hmm. think a lot of that was from those multiple trips out there. And again, you know, so for Mulan, I had to go to China as well. I probably spent two months in China, you know, mm -hmm. maybe two and a half. So, um, uh, and, and, and I was more comfortable there because I had also had done that before. So, um, and yeah, but after Mulan, um, you know, people, just the relationships between, uh, I think some of the producers at, at Disney and at Marvel, uh, I think it was my, well, I, I know it was I died. Joe Judy, who was my, uh, my VFX producer on Mulan had a lot of connections at, at Marvel cause she had done a whole bunch of stuff there. And she, she mentioned me to, to people there. And that's how I sort of got my foot in the door to, to at least interview for, um, for Moon Knight, you know? Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, cool. I mean, that is, uh, that's pretty, pretty amazing. So tell us a little bit about, about Moon Knight. <laughs> like, how was that? Moon Knight was, was a pretty awesome experience. Um, so we shot that in Budapest and also in Jordan. Okay. Um, so we could not shoot in Cairo, uh, which made it very challenging. Um, mm -hmm. The only thing we actually had in, in Cairo was Dan Akers, who was one of our additional VFX soups had gone. I'm sure you probably know Dan. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Dan's great. So Dan had gone uh, with our director on a tech scout to Cairo. So he was there for like five days or something. And he had his Canon 5D and it was taking a shit ton of pictures. Right. Um, I don't think any of us realized that we were never going to get to go back there. I think it was sort of like, hey, we're going here. Check this area out. Check this area out. At the time, we didn't even know where our end battle the end sequence of episode six was even going to take place. We knew it was somewhere in Cairo, but mm -hmm. we didn't know whether it was going to be around the Cairo tower, which is more like the sort of uh, modern area. Mm -hmm. or it was going to be, you know, more in the sort of outskirts, like near, near the pyramids. Right. And um, so he took pictures in kind of both, but it wasn't really like, wasn't really enough of either one really. And, and he, but on his own, he's like, I'm going to just go down the Nile river and take a bunch of pictures of the, along the Nile, which thank, thankfully he did because there's this whole sequence when they're going down the river in Moon Knight, uh, which we shot on the Danube River. We, we shot uh, we shot array plates on the Danube from uh, a Zodiac, which was insane, but it was like a stabilized head on a Zodiac. Right. Uh, very cold. Uh, but but uh, and we did it like at four in the morning. or It was crazy. But, yep. but, but then we were able to kind of cut in a lot of these really great sort of buildings that, that Dan had, had taken – just stills of that we were able to that um crafty apes was able to put them into these um river plates um but again like if you watch the movie watch the show you would not think that we never really went to cairo because there's a lot of stuff we had a great set that was uh, built by um stefania um 
our production designer, she, she made a pretty great, you know, massive uh, street area, but we had to extend it with buildings. And so she actually recommended buildings within Budapest that matched the kind of um, uh, colonial Cairo style. Mm-hmm. So we scanned the crap out of those, textured, textured all that stuff. And then we also, she also recommended areas within a few different cities in Jordan. And we probably LIDAR scanned and textured maybe 50 buildings in Jordan that, that Dan was also a big part of, of that. He was down there with that team. Right. And, um, and then we just kind of like, you know, Weta, uh, Weta did a fantastic job and um, Image Engine did a fantastic job of sort of building those assets together based on, you know, reference that we could find and kind of recreating Cairo out of all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of amazing if you think about it, right? Like when you we were talking about it earlier about commercials, this, like you you did a whole episodic show and you, the amount of effects on it are like startling, right? Compared to what, yeah, we used to do. Yeah. It was, it was like 2,500 shots. And the thing is I, <laughs> I did that show thinking, oh, this one might be a little easier than Mulan, you know? And, and I'm, I don't know why I thought that, but like Milan was about 2000, maybe 2050 or something like that in terms mm-hmm. of how many shots. And we had like a year of post on that one. And then right. Moon Knight was like about six months of post and 2,400 shots or whatever. And so we were working on those shots. We were working on those episodes while we were filming. So there was a lot more overlap and it was crazy, but I had, it was myself, um, John Hackney, uh, John Haley, sorry, John mm-hmm. Haley was our, um, another additional supervisor and Dan Akers. And the three of us just took the 2,400 shots. We each took 800, you know, and um, I took the frame store and Weta stuff and they took the other, um, we had a lot of, a lot of vendors. So they, they probably each had maybe four, four or five vendors. Um, And we worked together really well. And it was one of those things where I hadn't really done that before, really had to kind of uh, delegate work to another supervisor in that sense. So it was a little bit like, oh, am I still going to be okay doing it this way? Uh, don't I need to see everything? And yes, I had to see everything because I still had to present everything to Victoria mm-hmm. and I had to sort of have some ownership of it, but I still had to, you know, give them enough leeway to be able to get what they needed for the shots, sure. which I did. And I, I could never have done all those shots in that amount of time if I actually did everything. There's no way. Those guys did a shit ton of work to right. to make those to, to make those shots work, you know? So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I know that they're uh, uh, those are challenging, <laughs> challenging things. What was it like working with vendors as opposed to working with artists directly the way you used to? Yeah, uh, it's um, it, it's sort of what I was alluding to before. It's like that that when you're only kind of your only exposure to the vent to the to the artist stream is like through this little window on your on your laptop or on your right. monitor it's just not the same, but I, I, you know, you try to call out stuff so that they know that you're, you know, you're trying to be a part of the process. I mean, right. you can't, you can't, you don't want to trip them up by saying, well, tell me exactly how many, uh, what is your frequency of, of, of your noise right now? Like, no, right, right. But, but you can, you can speak the terminology a little bit. And I, and I haven't really done anything too complicated in Houdini in a long time, but I still open it up once in a while and sure. do basic stuff. But I can I can sort of speak in general terms. So if it's an effects thing, I can I, I like speaking directly to the artist that's or the, the effects lead, whoever's on the call. Um, but it's it's not the same. It's not the same. And and sure. I, and when you're dealing with um, animation supervisors or animators and like actually trying to sort of explain stuff, sometimes the um, the the Zoom interface is actually 
good because you can kind of push the camera away and actually just like say, I want it to be like, bop, 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 you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can see what you, what you look like to them and go, did I just explain it or did I just do something that's completely lame, you know? And I go, if, if it looks good in the camera, you go, oh, maybe, maybe it's going to work, you know, and then right. they're recording them a lot of times. So, but I have had a couple of times where I've been like, I was just working on um, the last voyage of the Demeter. I was helping that for like the last, I don't know, four or five months. And I did have a few times where I was able to go into a vendor to personally work with an artist. And it was so weird. I hadn't done it in a while, but it feels so good to be able to sit next to an artist who's playing with something and be like, okay, try and move that a little bit up, move it down, make it darker, make it bright. Like all those little tweaks that we used to take for granted, you know, mm-hmm. like just, you don't have that anymore, you know? So right. you have to you just got to wait for the next version. Right. <laughs> and you have to, yeah. And you have to put a little more trust in it, but that's, I think that's also why, um, I like to do like a paint over, like if, and I, I only oh, do this right. if it feels like if it feels like it's just not quite working. Like if, if I've already given the notes once or twice and it's not quite what I've asked for, or isn't quite what the director is asking for, I'll do a paint over, show it to the director, say, you mean something like this. And then I'll give that to them. So then I know, okay, it's a little bit more, a little, it's trying to kind of tighten that loop up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's really like, so as far as working as an artist, that's what I do the most of now is just doing paint overs in Photoshop. I'm, I've gotten pretty good at that, I guess. You know? Yep. I, absolutely. I know, I know, uh, Eric Barba was very good at painting over in Photoshop. He says, the only skill I have left. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's sort of like, you know, try, you know, pulling it out of your brain and, and putting it sure. in there. It's like, it's, it's the quickest way to get it, to get it done, you know? Sure, sure, sure. And then what's the most recent thing that you worked on? Uh, well, yeah. So Demeter, uh, I finished in April, um, mm-hmm. which is, so that's, uh, for Amblin and it's Dracula on a boat. Oh, and nice. I, I was actually working with our old friend, Brad Parker on that one. Oh, so nice. He, yeah. So he was, he, he was the supervisor on it. He had another show that he had to, that he had to kind of go to. So we ended up splitting the role for about those last four months or five months or something. Okay. Uh, and I worked with, uh, Mr. X who's now, um, uh, NPC. I think that might have been their last, maybe that's our last show as Mr. X. We call them Mr. X, but I think they're credited as, as NPC, but it was. Oh, so they've been renamed to NPC now. I think so. They're just sort of rolled into it. <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. But okay. they, they did a great job. They did all, all the, the creature work and everything. And, um, but it was great to work with Brad again. You know, we hadn't worked in a few years together. Um, and so I finished that and then I've been working on, um, uh, a, a small Netflix show called family leave. That's like a Ed Helms, Jen Garner sort mm. of Friday fa- body swap kind of situation, which has been, been fun, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm uh, looking at another project right now. So yeah, it's all. All, all right. Good. Yeah. So ha- you haven't been necessarily as affected by some of the strikes and some of the stuff going on right now. I mean, I, I would say that, I mean, I definitely been affected by it in, in, in that the last six months, the last eight months, it feels like the shows have been definitely hesitant to kind of like push straight on, you know, go without any, any kind of hesitation. They're like, we're doing the show, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Been a lot of like, well, let's see what happens. Let's see what mm-hmm. happens. And I think there's definitely have been like less projects even in the ether because of it, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, but you know, the show that, uh, Demeter was definitely not affected. That was fine. We, we were already in post on that one. 
And then right. family leave is in post right now. Uh, hopefully that's fine, you know? Okay. But definitely there's been, um, you know, there's been that sort of pressure and strain on, um, on the studios. I think when they're even thinking about crewing up a show and they're just, so they're just not doing it as much because they know, Oh, well, this is just going to get held up anyway. Let's not waste money developing something that's just going to get canned. Right. So, right. But I'm really, I'm hopeful that something, something gets figured out because, you know, it's, it's, and it's scary because, you know, the next, the next few months with the potential DGA strike, the SAG strike, like, you know, one after the other, it's just going to, it's really going to be pretty brutal. Um, right. And I, and I've been hearing, you know, vendors losing, losing shows because the shows have shut down. So it's like the visual effects companies are definitely going to be feeling that as well, which, you know, I'm hoping that there's enough work to kind of keep them fed for the next say three months until they can kind of figure stuff out. Right. But yeah, it's scary. It is scary. I think, I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm curious about your thoughts about the, the film industry in general. I think there's going to be some changes. I think that like the, I think that there's starting to see shifts in, in, in things. Right. So I don't think we're going to see as much Marvel stuff as we used to. Obviously there's been changes at Disney mm -hmm. uh, that are sort of uh, focusing their, their interests a little more as opposed to making tons and tons and tons of work. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that there's going to be some interesting new, kind of content out there stuff like everything everywhere all at once or things like that. What are, what are your thoughts on, on that and where the industry is going? Yeah, I think, I think there's definitely, you know, yeah. Unique films like everything everywhere all at once have been, you know, rewarded handsomely for thinking outside the box. Right. right. And that was not a big budget project, <laughs> yeah. but you know, uh, I think there'll be more of, there'll definitely be more. And it's a good thing because we definitely Hollywood kind of got into a rut of like, if it's not a tried and true, um, you know, uh, um, marketable franchise, then we're not going to put any money behind it, you know? Right. And that still is the case for a lot of this stuff. But I think that blindly following and just saying, we're going to make a, a, a sequel to this and we're going to make another one of this, I think doesn't have the same guaranteed success you know, uh, as, as it might've say five years ago, you know? Mm -hmm. So now what I'm hoping is maybe Marvel will do, you know, maybe Marvel will say, look, instead of doing, you know, um, a sequel to X movie, whatever, I don't mean X man. I just mean like, mm -hmm. instead of doing a sequel to some movie, I'm not, I don't want to say anything, but mm -hmm. like instead of doing that movie, maybe they'll, which might cost two or $300 million, maybe Marvel will do, a couple of small things. Maybe they'll do two $50 million movies that are totally out of the box, weird ways. Like if you think about what Moon Knight was, Moon Knight was like a totally outside of the box kind of superhero story. Right. Um, and even She-Hulk, which I know She-Hulk, you know, it was very expensive to make and had, I think there were some shots that looked incredibly good in that, in that series. Um, I think if it was, it was such a unique take on it. it's like okay let's take a superhero and put him into like a sitcom situation like only marvel could do that maybe they overreached maybe they didn't i don't know but like like if you could sort of take that same kind of unique thinking and um just don't spend as much money on it you know don't show as many shots don't have as many vfx shots or whatever and um, um give the audience something new and fresh 
I think that's what's coming. And I think um, uh, they're definitely being more selective about what's going out. But I don't think there's, I, I don't think that uh, it's sort of uh, in, in tandem with the fact that the, the box office is definitely coming back. Like people want to see good movies and they want to spend money in the theaters. They, they, that was something that people were not sure was going to really happen I ago. think that there's I think that there's suddenly there's much more in theaters than I was expecting, right? And so yeah. suddenly very interesting things are happening. Things like Cocaine Bear. Yeah, <laughs> you know? which is like awesome. Right? Yeah, I mean it's like that's the movie twice. Yeah, it's yeah. it's you know, and even you know, that list, you know, that's on the cheaper side of things, but even Avatar, like I looked at that Avatar is like, you know, it's good. Like it there's a, spe- a spectacle to that that just feels good, right? Yeah. yeah. And the same with Maverick, right? When Top Gun Maverick, yeah. man, that was like that's I mean, good. There's yeah. still there is still room for the spectacle movies, but I think what's what the difference is is that five years ago it was only spectacle movies, like that was only the, the, well, it was only it, we yeah. only had basically only Star Wars or Marvel, right? That's yeah. all yeah. it was. Yeah, and so now I think there's some a little more variation, a little fresh ideas, and the idea of it needs to be a, a, a reboot or something of a known IP, like a Spider-Man yeah. or whatever, is not necessarily the case anymore, which I think is kind of cool, you know? People so. wanted to go see a movie because it was called Cocaine Bear. I would want to see that, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I want to see Meth Shark or whatever the next yeah, one. Yeah, it is. And and I think that there's, you know, there's a another film that I saw recently called The Creator that looks really, really interesting. Mm. Um, and then Dune's coming out again, so that's really cool. So... I think that there's definitely something interesting happening in Hollywood. I yeah. do want to touch on one thing because I ask everyone this near the end of the podcast, so you're just going to have to deal with it too. <laughs> what do you think about where technology is going right now in terms of things, especially in the areas of AI? Obviously, since we were talking about the strike, mm-hmm. there's been some uh, people, on the, especially on the writer side of things, that are trying to uh, prevent or, or stop those methodologies from making their job, uh, you know, taking work away from them or, or, or just, you know, doing something that wouldn't help them. What are your thoughts on AI tools and, and, and where, and where they're going to go and how does that fit into the visual effects world of things? Yeah. Good question. And I've been, I've been actually learning a lot. I got to give a shout out to, uh, Jason, Jason Shugart because he's been teaching me a lot of stuff, but okay. like, but, um, you know, there is, a you know what what i'm seeing is when i because when i'm playing with it it's sort of like mid journey or any of these tools are they feel like a google search on steroids right. it's like you know normally you would try to find an, an image or, or something to help you make a concept and you go on google search and oh, fuck i can't find it it's not there it's not there it's not there right but now you can like type anything and it's like something it might not be what you want but there might be something in it that you're like that's kind of cool i'm going to steal that little piece and then I'm going to try try the prompt, change the prompt a little bit again. Oh, that's kind of cool. And you're still kind of like building something out of pieces. Sure. You know? and, and sure, I think you know part of the part of the problem is that people look at Midjourney and they go, "Hey, like I can just type in you know uh, a buffalo on roller skates, and there's the image, and that's great. I love it. Done." But the the truth is, is that like what it's missing is is that the um the sort of refinement and the sort of the filmmaker or someone so the art director having some say because it might not be exactly what they wanted but like it's very easy to hold up your phone and go look uh, a buffalo on roller skates right. and, yeah that is objectively a buffalo on roller skates but it's not 
the Buffalo and roller skates that I had in my mind or that they had in their mind. So there is right. still, and, and sure, if we all just accepted version five or version three or version two or whatever it is of, of the mid journey, um, I guess they only did four versions, but like you're, mm -hmm. you're only, you know, if we just all accept that's, that's our version of the concept, then I feel like we're in for a very boring future. Sure. You know, I, I think that's, but I think the mistake is people go, Oh, well, that's it. The con that you don't need a concept artist because I, you know, any, any, anyone with mid journey can type in, you know, Buffalo on roller skates and they get that image and, and boom, that's, what's going to be on the movie poster. And it's like, I just don't believe that, that it's going to ever be the version that comes out of the thing is going to be the version. You still need artists putting their heads together and trying to kind of like steer it. What I do think mid journey and all these other tools are going to do is that they, they're going to accelerate the process. We're going to be able to do that a lot faster. We're going to be able to get get the look that the filmmaker is looking for a lot faster. And there are certain tools that are going to get easier. So that just means that like people that might have been really good at roto or really good at paint work, they're going to get really good at using these tools that do their job for them. But you still need someone doing it. And now they're going to be able to do more of that. And maybe they want to get into, you know, fine art painting, or they want to get into matte painting, or they want to get into uh, compositing or, you know, something else that is sort of whatever the next thing with that that's on their sort of hit list of, of, of tasks within the VFX world, you know? So I, I don't think that there's a, a magic button that's going to just like, unless, again, unless we're just looking to accept the first version we get. Right. And I, I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think that there's always going to be a, a need to kind of, uh, adjust and, and make better. Do you and, think from the studio side, producer side of things, they think that, Oh, we're going to save a ton of money using AI instead of getting artists. Uh, I think that, that uh, from the studio side, like some of the filmmakers think that they're just going to get replaced by everything. Like that they're not going to need directors anymore. Like when you talk to some of these guys, but I, I don't, I don't think that's really the case. I think that, right. uh, I think that, um, the money is just going to be spent on different stuff. Like the money is going to be spent on the artists that are um, doing the cleanup for you. Someone still has to run this stuff. It might be a smaller team. Right. You know, like if, if you're using nuke to do clean plating and it, and that, that takes you, I don't know, takes you four days to, to clean up, um, you know, a, a couple of shots or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it ends up being. Now they're, they're doing the cleanup in a day. Right. or something because there's still like so it's it's faster by a lot but there still needs to be some technician i think running it to to to, sure. to put it together um and i don't i just don't know if there's ever a time and i've seen some really cool stuff like the the wonder um the wonder um oh yeah where, where it's like you know i don't know if, how like automatic it is but it's like you literally have a guy running down the street and then that guy becomes a robot and it's like you know, but there's still yep. a lot of cleanup to be done. That'll all get better, I imagine. But it, you know, the the intricacies of how that robot is moving, how it's looking, like you still need someone to to get in there and make adjustments, unless you're willing to just accept the first version that comes out. You right. Know? So I, I I don't know. It, it may be it, it may be a more optimistic view of it than a lot of people have, but I think that there's I see it as a, as a as a way to sort of simplify our lives a little bit. Like if I'm not having to spend, cause you know, for, for me, if I, if I've been on set all day, but I need to kind of do a, a quick concept of something, 
if I have to spend three hours searching Google to try to find something that I can generate in a half an hour on mid journey and then just sort of, you know, cut, cut it out and stick it into my Photoshop, that saves me time and allows me to kind of do more things. Right. So I'm, I'm hoping it's, it's sort of that on a, uh, you know, if you expand that into everybody, every artist, that means that, you know, an artist who's doing effects work, if, if there's an AI driven explosion tool, or something that it allows them to kind of make a really cool explosion, but now they can actually build uh SOP networks or whatever with, um, with AI or I don't know. And, and, yeah. and then now they, but then they're still tweaking it. They're still like, maybe the, maybe what AI does is it gives you like a really cool, you know, um, operator tree that, that has controls. And now you're going yeah. in and you're tweaking stuff. Well, I remember actually specifically, believe it or not, you mentioned him earlier in the in the podcast, uh, talking to Doug Robel about this a long time ago, mm. before all of this controversy and everything that was going on. But he was excited about AI because of the speed that it could do things, right? So mm. he was specifically talking about, at that time, fluid sense. It's like machine learning can massively accelerate fluid sense because it can figure out what it needs to be based on what it you know you start with this it it has enough information to finish the whole fluid sim in, in real time right oh, yeah, yeah. and so as opposed to actually calculating the real viscosity in in you know physical part of it so yeah. um and so it's it's kind of one of those things i think it's going to be very very interesting to see uh, where those tools happen and what they do along the line totally and you know and and for years i don't know probably at least the last 10 to 15 years, we've, we've called it machine learning. We didn't call it artificial intelligence. Right. And so I was like, it was like, oh yeah, we can use some mach you know, machine learning to do the uh, edge detection or machine learning right. to do the, the uh, interpolated frames or machine learning to do the, um, the face replacements. Like that, that was, you know, a couple of years ago. And now it's yeah. like, okay, now it's artificial intelligence. It's pretty much the same technology. It's just, but just give it a different name. But I, I think it's also like the, the I think that the the public, the media has taken on the term mm. artificial intelligence mm. because that's the scary thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, machine yeah. learning doesn't sound scary. No, because it's just it's a machine and it's just it's yeah. a, it, you think a machine, it's dumb. It's just learning. Okay. But general yeah. artificial intelligence is going to be the one that everyone needs to be scared of. Yeah, the, the, the AGI stuff is scary. Yeah. And I and I yeah, again, I've been turned on to some of these podcasts and listening, and it's it is it is scary, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. that the guardrails are not really in place yet, um, and that they're saying we need we need more physicists to to jump into the you know to to get out of the stuff they're doing right now and to get into this right world, you know, and I. I mean, I, I wish I was smart enough to to help, but I have no idea how to <laughs> how to how to align a, a, an AI, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, I think there's going to be a bright future. Somehow we'll get through this. We'll get through the writer's strike and the AI will actually be there to help us the whole time. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it's sort of like, it's like, imagine the, uh, it's just, it's just like, it's kind of like when you're, when you're supervising something and you ask the vendor to do X, Y, and Z, and it comes back because it's really like crowdsourced creativity, right? You're, you've sure. asked them to do something and they come back and you go, wow, I didn't think of that. That's, really cool i love it or i like this part of it let's let's keep going that like rarely is it just you know give me give me a give me b and that's what i what we take it's it's like right. so so the fact that you have artificial intelligence means i think that we're going to end up with a lot more unique 
interesting creatures, interesting, you know, buildings, whatever, as long as we are keeping an eye on the fact that we're not just picking the first version that comes out. Because the first version that comes out is going to be derivative of something that by definition of what it does. (laughs) I mean, it is, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's giving you the most predictable result because that's what it's designed to do. Right. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, what's interesting to me is like you were saying, we're seeing some very unique things with AI and it's not the AI that's interesting. It's whatever the hell is in people's heads that they haven't been able to do until now. Like, No one is drawing a Buffalo on roller skates, right? Yeah. But no. you had that in your head and you somehow was like, no, let's see that as an image. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, my, my friend did, uh, did he's like, uh, he imagined Star Wars as cave paintings. And this is like, who the hell thinks of that? But it's, it was cool. You know, it was like, yeah, yeah neat. You know, yeah, but, my, 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 my friend, Eric, I don't know if you know Eric Sheely or not, but he was a pretty yeah. unique guy, but mm-hmm. he's, uh, he, uh, <laughs> He's been trying to create the story about his uh, his past living in Greenwich, Connecticut in the 1970s. And mm-hmm. so he's creating images of 1970s Connecticut mansions and, you know, garden parties with mid-journey, sort of basically recreating his memories of his past and trying oh. to turn that into some kind of a story that's just kind of really amazing and unique. So. Uh, really, really cool uh, to see that use case too. You know, like, all right. <laughs> no, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I actually met I met the filmmakers um, Caleb and Shelby. I forget their last names. Ward maybe. Okay. Who were doing those um, Wes Anderson? If Wes Anderson was to direct, say, oh, right. Avatar, or an Avatar trailer or Lord of the Rings. Yep. Yep. Or, uh, Star Wars and yeah. and like yeah, they're doing it all with they did a Lord of the Rings one too <laughs> yeah 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 and you know great great creative young 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 people that you know they're using After Effects they're using Houdini Mid-Journey. they're using Mid Journey they're they're using tools like and you know they didn't just press a button and say make this thing no no no, well, no. go to Seven Eleven and come back and then post it on YouTube like there is art going on there you know and yes they're right. using ChatGPT to write an interesting script. But they're still, they're still, they're still adjusting it. They're still making, sure. you know. So again, that's sort of a, a perfect example of like, okay, they're still these are these are artistic people who are now getting a chance to actually express themselves. It's not someone who you know, um, you know, has has no artistic uh, basis at all. Obviously, they've got great ideas and they're doing fun things. And so it's there. There's that whole other level is that it's going to allow more people to kind of be able to express their abilities, which right. is cool. I mean, the, there's going to be people that you didn't realize had all this great talent that are going to like coming out of the woodwork of like, I'm really good at doing this kind of concept work. And well, and they're using more journey, but they're just really good at it. Right. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. I in fact, I w- we were just discussing that the best AI art that I've seen have come from people who are artists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. knowing what references to make, yeah, what what design language to use, right? Um, you know, knowing photography, and knowing mm-hmm. sort of what what lens or what camera or what film or what sure, you know, depth of field, you know. Yep, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Well, cool. Listen, thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate you doing this with me and and going on this journey and and telling us all about those those incredible. 
uh, journey that you've gone through in your career. And I'm, it's really amazing to see this. So uh, excited to see all your new projects coming out. So we'll check out the Netflix show when it comes out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's it called again? Uh, Netflix show is called uh, Family Leave. Family, Family Leave. But, but uh, in the last words of the Demeter comes out August 11th. That one actually has a, a uh, release date. Oh, okay. So that one will be okay. pretty cool. Um, cool. They're, they're both going to be fun, but like I'm, I'm excited for um, Demeter because that one actually is like, we know when that's coming out. So Awesome. Um, <laughs> awesome. So. But uh but yeah, uh, this has been really fun, Chris. I appreciate you thinking of me, and um, and uh, it was it was it was actually great to, to talk to you. So thank you. 